clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're here to talk about the sixth episode of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. This episode was called Birth Mother. That's an easy one to figure out on this one, I think. <laughs> I'd say so, yes. I mean, I was, I was really kind of racking my, my mind. Like, are, are you supposed to say it in your mind, like, birth mother? Or was it like, birth mother? Is it? Is it, is it <laughs> I don't <laughs> think it's that complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, at the end of that, I believe I but, was overanalyzing. You know, you say that, but in the very last few moments of this episode, we do have Kevin's storyline that's all of 30 seconds long. Madison, mother, giving birth. Yeah, see, that's what made me think. <laughs> maybe there's maybe there's more so there's to our, it. So there's our double meaning. Double meaning, but really only one member of the big three this week. This is a mechanism that we've seen employed in the past where they pretty much neglect all the other members of the show and focus in on one character, service that character with a gigantic like glob of story. Mm-hmm. And in this case, man, I think I think uh, Randall sums it up at the very end when he said, "I know my birth story," and that's what we learned. This is this yeah. is basically his great mystery. It is. Did, I mean, <laughs> he kept saying these things like, "I didn't even know I was looking for you," and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a feeling that we that we've shared with him through, throughout this season, learning about Laurel. What was your big takeaway from this one, Carolyn? What was your big theme? What What did you what, what stuck out as as the big message on this one? I think it's that at some point you have to get enough closure on whatever it is you're seeking, and you have to be able to let it go. It's like Elsa. <laughs> Whether you're on a mountaintop or you're in a lake, mm. you have to finally just open your mouth and let it go. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Randall has proven that he's not a good singer. Oh, yeah, true. So <laughs> so he just got to go the yelling route. He just had to scream. That was all that I was left to tell of him. You, I don't love screaming, just like abrupt screaming. So since that happened so many times on the television set, I liked how, how in this one you were like, I think he's about to scream. He's going to do it again. Like, just like letting you know. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm kind of like a scare baby about stuff like that. So when someone screams, I'm like, oh, I'm very nervous for you. <laughs> yeah, right. If you're listening to this and you're wondering, what do they watch at night? Well, Caroline says I can watch anything I want as long as there's no screaming. <laughs> true. I don't like that. Very, very true. It's not a good way to settle down for the evening. (laughs) All right. So let's dive into this one, Paul, because while you're saying it's Randall's story, and and it certainly is, we finally get the background of that side of the family. When I think of Randall now, I don't think of him as Randall Pearson exclusively. I think of him now as like Randall Dubois Hill Pearson. Mm-hmm. He is really all of these families mashed together. And I was very interested in Laurel's story. I thought that they, they did a nice job of weaving together so many traits that we've seen with Randall over these last five seasons. You could really see when you when you sat back and you looked at everyone who kind of poured into Randall's cup, you could kind of see where the different ingredients came from. Her story, Laurel's story for me was overall tragic. And maybe that's part of the the letting it go part. That's entirely the letting it go part, in fact, was her story was, in a way, even though she lived a, pretty much a full life, pretty much, it was marred and kind of cut short in many ways, just kind of emotionally and, and like 
if if a real person has a character arc, hers was stunted in several ways because and partially it was because she couldn't let things go. She couldn't find a way to make peace with things. Not unlike Randall's adoptive mom, she also came from a family of higher society and had great expectations on her shoulders, including marrying someone who she wasn't actually very interested in and was of her echelon when she was really more interested in the guy that was, you know, a little more blue collar, worked with his hands kind of guy, and certainly not the guy that her family thought she should be with. That storyline felt so familiar as we were going and I finally looked at you and was like oh wow Laurel and Rebecca are just like very similar now here's the thing that story is similar for many women especially though of a specific time frame where it's like you know you you should marry being married is the most important thing not focusing on anything else but just that part of the whole story you know it's really about gaining a vice president for the bank more than it is Laurel being happy you know and for Rebecca was like gaining a golf partner for her dad more than Rebecca being happy. I'm trying to say that this story, I think, is not so unique that these women couldn't both have such a similar story and it not happen to be both of his mothers. I guess in all of the TV watching, movie watching, book reading that I do, I, I don't tend to focus on women from this period. And so I'm really ignorant when it comes to that. I just know that my gut told me I felt ooked out when her marriage was basically arranged Mm -hmm. in like a very old world style. It was interesting because our son was watching from the other room and he kind of had one eye and he goes, hey, how come it's supposed to be an easy yes for her? And then we both had to turn on. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, why would it be an easy yes? That's a very good question. And just shows, you know, how times have changed. When you learn things about a person's family, you know, the people that they came from, it's a natural fact that people will take those characteristics of that person and try to tie them in to the person that they know, even if it's just the way their eyes look. We say all the time that our kids, specifically our eldest, arches her eyebrow like Paul's grandfather used to. And they could have never met. Right. They lived at different times, but the quizzical one eyebrow raise is a trait we feel was passed to her. And I think that they had to kind of reverse engineer these characters to make that work with Randall a little okay, bit. Okay, so what did you see? Well, his grandfather was a banker, a very serious-minded man, very serious-minded man, not one to be trifled with. Randall, you recall at one point, had his career set in the futures type prediction models of, of various yeah. commodities. I, Very I, analytical. Yes. Not banking exactly, but big numbers. Numbers and yeah. And speculation. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And he was a man of, of faith. I don't haven't seen where faith really plays into Randall that that much yet. Remember when he was. Um, they went to church to appear to have gone to church. For when he was campaigning. Yes. 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 And not to appear to have gone to church. No, that's not right. Mm. But they were there because when it comes to politics, that is the place of a meeting place. This is something that has been discussed on many shows. So if you want to run for office, you need to show up at church, not because you're trying to look holy per se, but because that's where the meet and greets happen. That's the networking place. His grandfather got that memo. His faith seems to be a big part of him as well. Um, We didn't get much info on mom, but 
Brother Jackson, Caroline was was mentioning how we added yet another Jack derivative name to the show is is crazy, but here we are anyway. But in many ways, I felt like he played a role to Laurel, not unlike Jack did to say Nikki. You know, have being that older brother, that Superman brother, the one to let you in at night, the one to usher you up the stairs, the one to try to keep you out of trouble with the parents. Mm. That's completely the same role that Jack played. So you know, I don't think they had to be so heavy-handed and actually call him Jackson. But, you know, I could see where they were showing that sibling relationship to be so similar. There's a lot about the Dubois family that I don't think is meant to be an exact copy of something else we've seen on the show with other family members. But I think it is definitely supposed to echo those things. I think so, too. Remember Kevin's story with Tess and explaining the idea of this is us and and how there's like we're like circles and everybody's like overlapping and stuff. I think that like like throwing a stone in a pond and you have that ripple. There's like that sense of like, you know, this the patterns repeat themselves over and over again. You're drawn to people. You behave like people that you didn't even realize were a part of your past. Very much so. With the brother in particular, I enjoyed the the discussion about the music Mm -hmm. and how the two siblings had a distinct difference in musical tastes, but it was still there. They weren't indifferent about music. They just had different tastes and how music keeps feeding back in to his life. I mean, he had his adopted mom, his mom, his uncle, his dad all had some relationship with music. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. Especially since he's he has that first season moment when he goes on stage and, and pl- tries, tries to, to play the piano and sing is very endearing. Yes. Um, so he's not musical, but <laughs> but he tries. But it is it's in his in blood. It, yeah, it's literally in his DNA to to try to do that. Additionally, when we see the the sibling fighting between Dad Dubois and Aunt May, mm-hmm. and we can see how a family argument can fracture for generations it can rip a family apart that's something that you know i'm i'm a little worried when it comes to the patterns uh because i don't want that to mean that randall and kevin then are destined to make much bigger waves in the family circles here than just an argument for a season so i'm a little nervous about what that means because it doesn't look like dad and aunt may ever ever make up Uh, (laughs) let's hope that that's one circle that that goes a little different we discussed it offline a little bit, but we, uh, I don't know that we came to an agreement. My thought was that the falling out was based in that story that she shared about having the relationship with the married man mm-hmm. that went horrible. I would guess that, that Dad Dubois, when they were, even when they were younger, was still this principled color in the lines guy. Mm-hmm. The shame of that kind of relationship in a small community would be sort of that you're dead to me trigger that might have caused this forever rift between them. That's my guess. Certainly you have stories like that in your family. I have stories like that in my family of things that, you know, should have, could have been mended certainly sooner than they ever were, if if they ever even are. And and we've seen it rip people apart, you know? People yes. say a lot that friends are the family you choose. We don't choose our family, you know, our blood relations. And so there are some people that you are related to that you just cannot abide by things that they do and you ultimately choose to 
to send your family in a different direction. I, I think that as I've gotten older, I'm way more accepting of that. I think when I was younger, I would have been like, oh my gosh, everyone should make up all the time. But I, I've had too many instances now over the years where I could say, you know what? There's there's some situations where you just don't see eye to eye. You know, in the case of the affair with the married man, I, I mean, what's done is done. You know, there's there he could forgive her or they could come to some meeting of the minds. But like you said, if he has this kind of this is the way it is, black and white, you know, thinking then, how do you ever undo that? How do you ever fix it? It's not. It's up to that person with that with that mindset to embrace the idea that even though this person really pissed you off, you're stronger with them. I do want to say on the Dubois family's faith that, um, you know, the fact that they're Catholic is something new to the storylines that we have. But we also have this brand new location of New Orleans and having this completely different culture come into play. Catholicism is is prevalent in New Orleans. I'm sure many of you guys already know who are listening, but if you don't happen to, they uh, instead of having counties, they have parishes. The Catholic faith is it's a part of everything. That's why there's Mardi Gras. It has to do with the Catholic faith. It's kind of a big deal of Lent. Yeah, and so it's it's. I mean the the. The entire culture is wrapped up in Catholicism. It's not it's not unusual that they're Catholic. Uh, it's there's nothing that that's kind of why I was kind of rebuffing Paul about the like looking ultra religious or, or looking like you're being like super churchy. Us Catholics are not super churchy. You know? yes, yeah. I mean, we, we, we show up, you know, one thing that was actually kind of surprising and maybe actually doesn't jive is I actually don't know very many Catholics that quote the Bible. Because we don't use the Bible during Mass. We have like a missalette and we have like hymn books and stuff like that. But but like when they go up to read the gospel, our priests, they don't read straight from the Bible. They read like a version of it that is like lifted and put into these like, and I, and I do not believe it's word for word and everything. So um, <laughs> uh, I think it did catch me off guard to hear a Bible quote, like to, to be asked to quote the Bible isn't really something that Catholics do, in my experience. Not in mine either. Because we, we do live in the South, and it's something that definitely Baptists absolutely, um, absolutely do. And so for me, like that's a that's a really defining mark, because I've had arguments with friends where they're like, y'all don't even use the Bible in your services, you know? And I'm like, I can't, I can't argue that. You know, we've had times when we're like, we've had some sort of a homework assignment that requires a Bible, and I'm like, where can we get a Bible? <laughs> We have to go find a grandma somewhere who has one um, because we don't have one. That doesn't mean that, you know, you can't be a good Catholic. It's just you don't have a Bible. And for anyone listening to wondering, how are they jumping to that conclusion? Well, it's the math. It's it's the location of close to New Orleans and the fact that they said going to mass. Uh, yeah. Those two things add up to being Catholic. Yes. Very likely to be Catholic. Very likely. And they may not be. We talked about it. You said Episcopalians also use the word mass. I think so. You think so? I think so. <laughs> you know, if we're they wrong, don't, don't, don't kill us. When you're when you're young and in Catholic uh, Sunday school, they do not hand out pamphlets about what the other faiths do. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't. Although I have heard Episcopalian, that's like Catholic light. I've heard that too. So then in that case, perhaps. perhaps. Maybe, yeah. but, but I'm telling you, in New Orleans, Catholic makes sense. It just does. So I'm excited to have this new location. Do you think that's going to play in into future adventures for Randall? Are we going to explore the Big Easy? Are we down in the French Quarter? Are we are we experiencing anything? Now, here's the thing. I'm going to put a big fat 
parentheses here. It's COVID times. So maybe they had more plans for this. Maybe he was going to go to some things. But do you think that they hmm. pivot at all? Or Because there's nothing going on in New Orleans where you're socially distanced. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Nothing. You <laughs> are. It is. Everyone parties with everybody else. Yeah, it's kind of an up close and personal type area. You know, his track record suggests that once he finds out that he's from a place, he really digs in. I mean, he buys apartment complexes and runs for city councils and stuff. The idea that he would just be like, hmm, well, that's mom's story, and then just be like, back to Philadelphia, that doesn't seem overly likely. Now, your point about being able to shoot in New Orleans, great point. We know it can be done. But we also know that, the say, the WB has a lake in their back lot that they put things on and they just shoot there like it's any place in the world. So who knows what it really is? I'm just curious if, A, it, will the culture of New Orleans and the fact that he, he now knows that he's 50% coming from a place that has extraordinary customs and culture that comes with food and language and just awesome traditions that I feel like it would kind of stink to stick your pinky toe in and be like, yeah, you know, he's he's from New Orleans and then like never talk about that. <laughs> or have it laced back in. It would be such a bummer. He's not from, like, Boise. Not to say anything about the Boiseites, but... Um, well, if you could name one celebration in Boise. <laughs> they have a uh, a day set aside for Napoleon Dynamite since they made that movie oh there. Oh, my God. But okay, you got me. Every than... place has its own culture. But New Orleans is a big daddy of it. Well, and to further extrapolate... Um, when Please. they when they say this is us, yeah, they have really tried to hit a lot of bases. Mm -hmm. So they say like there's adopted people, there's multiple birth people, there's blind people, there's heavy people, there's light people, there's uh, famous people, not famous people. But so far, not a single goddamn southerner in the whole bunch. <laughs> Whoa! Look at you being a little offended up in here. That's really funny. <laughs> You're right. You're so right. I mean, yes. Th this is us provided you live in the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. And occasionally visit LA. But other than that, you you pretty much have to be from that area. You're totally right. So I hope it does play in. I would love to see somehow. I mean, now that he knows who Laurel is and he knows of the Dubois family, why would he not go seek out to see if there's additional cousins or other people? They were very, very careful, if you note. Jackson died. Mm -hmm. They didn't show Laurel with any other children. Mm -mm. And we assume these were the only two kids of Mama and Papa Dubois. We do. Aunt May does not appear to have married and or have any children. No. We would only have Mama Dubois' side of the family mm -hmm. to have any family come in towards us, as far as I see. And they'd have a different name. Challenging. Yes. You could figure it out. Surely, surely, especially being... You uh, could go to the church. Exactly. <laughs> but surely being a higher class family, there would be even better records in terms of wow. like... There would have probably... A would have president been, would have yes, some record Yes, there would have been, his... I'm sure, like a wedding announcement in the newspaper and stuff like that when they got married. So um, I would think that there would be actually some decent documents to try to figure it out. If he cares to. If we're going that way. If he... If he if he does the scream in the lake and that officially means I know my birth story and it, it goes so far beyond 
being left at the at the fire station. There's so much more to what happened. And we do need to talk about the travesty of what happened with Laurel. Sure. If you I, scream in the lake, do you stop looking for cousins and everybody else? Like, are you done? Is this it? No, I think you quit being butthurt about it. Okay. He lost patience with High during his explanation. We had to know if Will, William lied. And to be fair, beautiful story of a little girl and the aunt and all that stuff. But he needs to know, how did Laurel die and, and not be dead? <laughs> You know, that was the part of the story he needed to know. And to be honest with you, though, Paul, they still were a little glossy about that part because I understand that William and her didn't have a phone. Mm -hmm. All that, all that. You just got to just struggling right there because it wasn't like the 1800s. Are you telling me that seriously? No one had a phone that you knew? No one at all? And you didn't know Aunt May's phone number? I understand if you didn't want to call your parents. I get that. And you started to and your dad answers and you freak out. But (laughs) there was a time when we all knew people's phone numbers. I was going to say, I was going to say, like, you and I come from a time just on the cusp of when it wasn't unusual to know 10 or 20 phone numbers just off the top of your head. I can still rattle off phone numbers from other places I've lived. In, a, in an effort to focus on truly the absolute insanity of what happened to her about being arrested for drug possession and, and five years, five years for, uh, for someone who has zero uh, offenses on their record. The focus is there, is that this was an absolute injustice to happen to Laurel and look how easily it is for someone's life to get derailed by a moment of of basically weakness you know when she just couldn't handle the pain of of everything any longer and that moment and 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 William actually calling for help derailed her entire life I mean there is something to be truly sad about that knowing that this season has gotten political in certain ways. Yes. Do you suppose that the writers threw the book at her to illustrate the imbalance of white sentencing versus black sentencing? First offense for possession. That is a crime that, it, I mean, in some states, I don't know about for heroin, but some states are actually doing away with that as a crime. Right. What, was it Colorado or California or Oregon did away with certain hard drug possession in certain quantities as a crime at all? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely, I think that part of it is 100% her skin color that came into play. And it's just awful that that she felt like she couldn't you know, say something to her parents. But at the same time, for God's sake, I mean, I say that, but if May could never explain away, you know, her, her indiscretion, then how in the world was she ever to get right with her parents again? You know, if she were to call them and they were to try to help, I mean, she that would have been cementing no relationship with them. Now, here's the thing. We see the majority of the rest of her life and it doesn't look like she ever goes back and has any relationship with them. No. So despite the fact that she doesn't want to embarrass or whatever, maybe that's the main thing. She's just down the road with May. I don't know how people don't know. <laughs> 
Is that mean, your daughter at the market stand? Yeah, yeah. she may lives close enough that as a small child, she could walk back and forth. I question the idea that she was at a safe enough distance from her parents that she kept her family from any disgrace. I don't really believe that. And it's not like she then like had like a mail order business from home and never went anywhere. She was in the marketplace. She was at the farmer's market. Like surely people had to know. So there were some parts of the story that I thought were, you know, okay, that you're telling us this is how it happened and I'll just believe you that that's how it went down. I think we were led to this as a believable pattern, at least maybe within her family, in the lifelong rift between her father and her and his sister. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, he had said, don't go to her house. And when you're a dad and you say that, you, you what you're saying is kind of like Chris Rock. It's your only goal is to keep them off the pole, right? Yeah. It, it's, right. <laughs> it's you don't want them to fall into this same pattern. And then, you know, I'm making a, a, a gesture to Carolyn that suggests like this and then that over there. It, right. It's like this led to that. And to call and say, I'm in jail. It's like saying, you were right, dad. And, and that's maybe something she couldn't get by. The, the shame driver for her yes. is immense, lifelong, crazy. It's a, it's a good lesson, man. It is. It is. is, It's a really good lesson about family expectations and the idea of we have them as parents because we think we're trying to set a bar and and keep our children to be what the the classic live up to your full potential. Right. But there's so few people I know that don't end up feeling choked by that bar, you know, and (laughs) and or feel like that bar comes down on their head a couple of million times. (laughs) We know a lot of people that had certain expectations and are doing things much differently in, in their adulthood. It's not because it's funny because it's true. Yeah. And I think it's what's weird is that I do feel like it was our generation that kind of broke away from that, who said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to be quite so hard on my kids. Now, here's the thing. Okay, so I'm I'm not going to be ignorant on this fact because this is something that when you're at a certain level in this little quote, I'm going to say, you look back and be like, oh, you know, everyone was so strict before me, but they were strict before you for a reason. So this is um, a John Adams quote, and it says, the science of government is it's my duty to study more than any other sciences, the arts of legislation and administration and negotiation ought to take the place of, indeed exclude in a manner, all other arts. I must study politics and war that are sons may have the liberty to study math and philosophy. Our sons ought to study math and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children the right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. We are at the level of study math and philosophy, geography, whatever, so that our children can be the ones who everyone I know want to be an actor or a YouTube star or an artist (laughs) or a dancer or whatever, but they only get to be that because our parents studied so freaking hard and allowed us to be the next level. I'm an educator. (laughs) I kind of fall under that like next level down basically in that, in that hierarchy. I'm not the politician, but I'm like the educator, but my kids want to be in all of the liberal arts, everything that has to do with it, singing, dancing, performing, everything. They only have that luxury because generations before me figured out the system they studied and got us to a place of comfort enough that 
I didn't have to do what they did. And then now my kids don't have to do what I did. That's the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> you're making, you're making a good point. Show. You know, we're looking at the, the hard ass banker who the mom is like, oh, we don't get to go like have a walk. We don't get to do anything. Well, guess what? Because he did that. The next generation down, we admit, Laurel and, and William, that gets to be a little bit of a, of a mishmash of, of class issues and race issues and all kinds of things that are happening. But if you go from the banker to Randall to his own children who want to be like dancers and singers and that type of it's you can see the progression. Right. Like Randall had to build it back up a little bit from uh, from William and, and Or Laurel. even look at Beth. It was like Beth wants to be a dancer. Her mother was an educator. Before that, there was like a layer above them that was like had to force them with a heavy hand, go to school. Everyone has to go to college. You know, and you get that so that you can then be all like, it's cool. Not everyone has to go to college. No, y'all don't because we did. And it's be we did because our parents forced us because their parents forced them. Paul's blown away. He's sitting there. He's like, holy shit. Yep. Totally <laughs> blown away. You weren't expecting away. me to pull out a John Adams, were you? Uh, no, no. Like okay. President John Adams? No, your mom. Yes. <laughs> Fool. God. I guess it doesn't make much sense if it's just some John Adams some random from, like, J. A. around the corner. <laughs> well, sure. It's still a good quote, whether or not. But, you know, I just I respect the call now that we hear of people saying we need to get our heads back into government. We as a generation and especially we hear it amongst our age group, we need to make sure that our children do understand how government works because we're going back through that cycle. There's this whole area of everyone wanting to kind of explore the arts and do that, and that's great. But unfortunately, it means that we don't have anyone who understands how all the systems work anymore and things are getting messier and messier. There's a call to like teach your children more about civics and understand the importance of voting, the huge call we've had in the last 10 years at least if not more to get citizens back in and start participating more in government it's a huge change it's a shift and one that we should bring back to the show <laughs> all yes. i'm saying is that things are a cycle right tell me your f the most unexpected part of laurel's story for you i think it was the same part that caught randall off guard was just uh and the part that you're allowing to to gloss over which is that she was sent to prison in california for five years it makes the part where she didn't contact anybody make sense all of a sudden but at the same time so harsh i would almost uh, would have wished for her anything else besides prison for five years so that's the part that took me off guard. What did you get out of all this lake business, like needing to go to the lake, needing to undress, in the lake, be in the lake? What did you get out of it? Well, I think that the lake was symbolic of of nurturing Laurel's soul, like all those years with, with May going over there. It seemed like she was like literally being nourished, getting, you know, the water and her hands in the dirt and all that kind of stuff. There was like a real sense of being so thirsty and this was like an oasis for her. And then, you know, there was a definite feel of, of rebirth and baptism, the way that she would sort of like go under and kind of come back up and, and be renewed in some way. Obviously, having her meet high there, you know, a whole moment of, of beginnings often mm -hmm. start with water and, and that felt all right. I thought that the scene with Randall and his mom 
as as the first the older version of Laurel and then uh, the younger version, the one that we kind of knew more. It was such a departure from everything that we've seen on the show that at first it was a little bit jarring because I expected him to go into the water and I expected him to scream. That seemed like it completely followed the pattern of of everything. This is how we do. This is how we do. But I was kind of, I was surprised that they kind of took it to that extra level, that sort of like dream-like sequence. It was like a living visualization or manifestation of his mother. The, the only thing that really comes to mind is that episode where they had like old Jack at a wedding or something. So it's sort of like supposing these yeah. events happen and stuff like but that. But even that was, was just like sort of daydreaming, mm-hmm. which this sort of was like that but it, it felt realer felt <laughs> so much more yeah. yeah it felt like more like watching like an art film or something you know where the, the transformation of his mom from an old woman to a young woman and and him forgiving her and accepting her and listening to how much she did love him and all those different things you know I thought it was beautiful I think that they really it was a departure from anything they had done in this COVID time I feel like you could tell how every scene was like a very few people on set yeah. And so I thought that that was a really lovely way of keeping things kind of intimate between him and his mom. And I'm sure following all those really difficult protocols, you know, trying to finish that story, trying to give it something more. And I do think people say, I don't know why they had to take it there. Like, I don't know why he couldn't have just yelled or why he couldn't have just maybe looked around at her things and said goodbye to her in some way, had some closure. I don't know why they had to get sort of so much more for life of a better term, artsy. I mean, do you have a different word for it? I don't know what to call it. I'm thinking about it over here. And if you're listening to this and wondering, there's no supernatural element to this. This is all in his mind. So it's like his mind is projecting a way for him to deal with letting go of this of this pain. We've just never seen this type of thing in this show. You know, this show is just so grounded in typical reality for the most part. We don't usually have any type of magical moments where something happens and you're like, oh, you know, they don't visualize things like this on the regs so but it's like we if we were playing a, a video game call it called complete knowledge of randall's birth it'd be like we were we got different pieces at different times and finally we got that one last piece and then the lights come on and something magical happens like the other pearsons they don't investigate their feelings quite like randall ever has that's true and I'll randall hasn't had all the magical parts from for, from his birth story yet, you know, so so it's like he hasn't been super Randall just yet, and for you know Super Mario type. Uh. <laughs> right, I see where you're going with that. For anyone who is a little uncomfortable, because there's going to be people who watch this who are like, "What am I seeing?" and who are not going to like it. Is what I'm saying. They're they're not. They don't get your video games. They don't care. They don't want to see Bowser. They don't give a shit about this. <laughs> they are here for the ins and outs of a family drama. You don't see this shit on a family drama Mm. okay so they weren't ready for this so what i'm going to say to them is i feel like the writers needed to take this extraordinary step to make a scene that was far more touching far more symbolic i'll have all the metaphors of her changing in age do all the things that were happening because we need randall in order to move forward he has such a deep hurt and such a deep sense of not being able to finish his story something extraordinary had to happen far bigger than you know just going to therapy all this stuff like he needed this transformative moment 
And this is how they were trying to show it visually. And I hope people can accept that and be completely cool with that. There's going to be a section of the audience who are going to weep and think that this was brilliant and beautiful. But I think there's going to be a section who are like, that just got weird. That just got real weird. I don't know where that lady came from. And <laughs> they're not going to like it. And so yeah. I hear that those are people who don't choose to seek out the fantasy movies or seek out ones that have, you know, me and you are so accustomed to that. Like, you know, you could name a thousand shows you've seen where something more mystical happens and you're cool with that. Kylo Ren, Han Solo. But there's so many people who don't enjoy that. Do I think it was a risk? Not really. Not really. Like, I don't, I mean, did like firecrackers and shoot from her fingertips or something. But do I think for this audience, where everything's just been pretty much like, let's go to school, let's have a baby, let's get married, things are just day to day life, that stuff doesn't happen. I think you're right. I think there'll be people that, that don't dig it, but I think it's worth doing. Especially for Randall. He if, needed if, this so much. If, I mean, an equivalent type um, thing that you might have seen in other shows would have been where, like, High hands him a doll that was his mom's. And then he goes and throws the, the, the doll in the lake to be like, goodbye, mom. You know, that sort of thing. It's the same kind of sphere of the emotion, but we've seen that a million times. We just had Kate have closure. She literally went on Facebook, yeah. found the guy. Oh, yeah. It was a basic conversation on the sidewalk. Yeah. There's no mystical people coming up out of the water talking to her and doing all this kind of stuff. That's not happening. So so the show has shown closure in a very typical, very by-the-numbers kind of way just last week. And so now we have this way more layered, way more symbolic. I have to tell you that Gilmore Girls taught me this concept of Lots of people have beginnings. Everybody has an end. But there's so many people who don't get the middle. You don't get the middle. And it's something that, like, in the show, Lorelai longs to have the middle. She doesn't want to just end up with Luke. She wants the middle. She wants the part where you live You live your life together. You have a life together. There's something about Laurel's story where I feel like she never had a middle. Mm-hmm. Like, she had a beginning and then she had an end and that part in the, that should have been her middle, she watched High have a family and his wife pass and his kids grow up and go on to their, their way. She just had her life with May and, and then by herself. And it's like that part, oh, that aches my heart so much because I never thought about the concept of a middle, of wanting a middle. But I think a, a lot of people who watch the show are, are near to probably our age, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. We're all kind of in the middle right now. And the fact that Laurel's just got taken from her and she just kind of became an observer to life after that. She just kind of carried out May's life. Yeah. Well, if you can sum up your life by having a young version of you working at the stall at the market, and then then, then just a camera trick just shows an old version of you doing the same thing. I think that's the the movie trick way of saying nothing interesting happened here. Nothing in the middle. She didn't have a middle. It took my breath away the first time we saw the older version of her. It really did because it wasn't about seeing the older version. It was about she didn't have a middle. She didn't have a middle. Mm -hmm. It really, it made me really sad. Birth mother, the tragedy of 
Laurel Dubois. Ugh, it was it was a sad story. I hope for for Randall, for the for this character, for his own family, that he has had this transformation moment that he feels like no one lied to him. Nobody didn't want him. Nobody walked away from him willingly or happily. Everyone wanted him. Everyone would have taken him in their lives. But for a variety of unspeakable reasons and unjust moments, he instead grew up with a different loving family. Again, key to point out, he still grew up in a loving family who very much wanted him. I th- I hope that I hope that wraps it for him. I hope he feels better. I know I sound like it's a real person, but I really hope this character has some peace. He well, he deserves it after this quest. I think it's right there. I mean, the I mean, we're wrapping up our podcast with the the moment that wraps up the show, which is he feels so peaceful. Yeah. So forgiving, so like his perspective has been broadened to the point where he can see I can't throw away my my brother. Yeah. This is a big fight. We will fight again, but we have to make it through this. Yes. It was a beautiful telling of Laurel's story, I should say. It, it's a it's a tragic story. Um and 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 one that I'm sure people in their family can say, yeah, my that's what happened to my aunt or that's what happened to my sister or something like that. Um, and it's incredibly sad. I do. We should hit upon Kevin's story in terms of how far along is Madison? Did we do the mental math to try to figure all that out? We heard that Beth and Randall had quarantined and that they had been in New Orleans for five or six days. And then they spent that next day with High. This was an, an additional day. So we think we are nearing two to three weeks past yeah, the point something about that. of the last episode. We went back and looked. Madison said, you'll be gone four weeks and I have five weeks left of my pregnancy. So at that point, we are gauging that she was at 31 weeks. We're adding on two to three. So we're thinking she's either 33, 34 weeks and is in labor at the end here. And Kevin is trying to drive from Vancouver <laughs> if you are for some Ooh. reason listening to this podcast, neither haven't been exposed to Caroline and, and my backstory or just have never had a pregnancy in your you know sphere of consciousness, weeks count in a big way such that especially with twins that you want every single one of them you can get up until you get to 40, 40, yay, it's magic number 38, it's fine, but... You know, and and hey, she's past 32. I think she's safely past 32 weeks. These babies should, they're going to be on the smaller side, I suspect, but they should be healthy, good looking babies. This should not be a a preemie tragedy moment in any way. I'm not expecting that. If that's where they go, I know too many people. We have twins again, Paul kind of brought you to the line there but didn't finish that story we have twins i i had i gave birth to them at 23 weeks so they were 17 weeks early here's the deal 32 though 33 34 these babies should be doing great this is more he wasn't frantic because he was worried about the health of the babies it seemed like he was frantic to be there for the birth there are questions i think that should be in the viewer's mind stemming from how little we've seen of Madison in those flash forwards, how uncertain that that has always felt. Yeah. We've had a preemie scare with Kate, and I don't know that we write the exact same preemie scare twice. Does that make sense? Sure. I'm not exactly sure where you're going with that. Are you trying to say that Madison dies? Might. 
I just, I can't. I don't think Mrs. Fogelman dies. I don't think she does. I mean, that uh, you get checks for every show you're in, not the ones you're not. <laughs> I think that the Fogelmans want to keep as much money as they can. And so I think that Madison sticks around, you know? I think that the creator's not going to write his wife out. So, I mean, that's where I'm at. I, I don't see a reason for her to die. They cannot have a marriage. They can decide to just co-parent. They're not married. Right. They're not married and she's giving birth. There is no reason why they're not going to just co-parent these kids and show that life too. Because remember, This Is Us shouldn't have to mean they're a married couple who have kids or he's been widowed and now you know he's raising the kids alone. There should be a part where they successfully had kids and successfully co-parent together, but they're not married. And in fact, they have other spouses themselves and they're still happy and everyone can grow up cool here. That's a story to be told as well. So why would you have to go back to the well where we can only tell two stories? I mean, she's dead or they're married. Like there should be something TV else. And the stakes are only at their absolute highest when mortality mm. is on the line. I hope it's not like that. I really don't want that. I don't feel like we need any. <laughs> I don't want that stress in my life. Well, we're super looking forward to next week. I think that we had a really Kate centric show with everything with Mark. Now we've had Randall's very Randall centric show. Gotta be all Kevin next week, right? If we don't go to Kevin, I'm going to be like, no, it's gotta be all hey, Kevin. Goober, where's the Kevin? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it's going to be all Kevin. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.